We have Amanda Knox. Welcome back, girl. Welcome back to our televisions. Crying uh, and uh, feeling sorry for yourself on television all over again. I thought we were finished. I thought as a white woman you'd taken up enough space in the media. But here you are again taking up more space uh, and uh, filling my television, filling the newspapers, filling the waves, the radio waves, filling my Twitter feed, filling my social media feed. And now here I am talking about you (laughs) because you're another example of the performance of race and white privilege. Um, Whatever your take is on the Amanda Knox case, and I I did a quick deep dive into the actual facts that the Italian police had on the case because I don't really trust the American media's interpretation because the American media is white supremacist so um, I don't really trust that take and I went to um, Italian sources that I could find um, and tried to get closer to the time period instead of looking at the Italian sources today right because that's you need to look as far as closer to the event as you can to get a, at least a more accurate take. And um, when you look at the facts of the case, and of course, this is my interpretation, so have discernment and it's my opinion. So, um, But when you look at the facts of the case, the guy that they penned it on, Rudy Gide, Gide, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, of course, is a black man, <laughs> literally, of course. And the quote-unquote forensics evidence that they used to convict him are basically identical to the forensics that they used to convict her originally. So it's literally just a matter of, of, of opinion, like who you think did it. And if you're going to take a black man versus a white woman who's crying, we all know about the magical power of white female tears and what they do. Um they pinned it down to like there's a the a shard of glass that was in the footprint that he made in the house was basically one of the like quote unquote damning pieces of evidence against him that put him in the place eyewitnesses saw him talking to uh, Fletcher uh Knox's roommate before at a club uh so he talked to a woman with long blonde hair like eyewitnesses saw that his testimony that she invited them into the house was pretty credible concern if you compare that with what the eyewitnesses saw and basically you know his fingerprints were in the place where so were amanda's they're like why were his fingerprints in the bed or whatever well so were amanda's um you'd say of course she lived there so her fingerprints would be there but people saw uh jeed with Fletcher that evening so he didn't just break into the house that they had been seen together and they had men coming and going out of the place I'm very sex positive they were sex positive girls you know they had men coming and going um basically it's just who you want to believe and of course they're going to believe a white woman who's crying over a black man and I mean, all signs pointed to Amanda Knox. You know, you, you just just common sense points to the closest people to the person doing the crime. Her 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 blood and DNA was mixed with the girl, with the girls, with uh, her roommates right after the murder. 
in the sink. So it's like, why were you washing your hands after the sink? She was doing all kind of crazy things. She was doing cartwheels. Uh, the Italian police are on record saying that she was doing cartwheels while she was being questioning, while she was being questioned that evening, right after the attack and into that morning, she was acting bizarre. And of course, you would say, well, of course she was acting bizarre. Her roommate had been viciously murdered, but cartwheels? Who does that? And the moment that I'm comparing, I'm looking at the comparison, look at the mental gymnastics and emotional, logical backbends and, and matrix-like contortions you have to do to find Amanda Knox innocent of killing her, her roommate. Meaning, you know, the preponderance of evidence that you have to manipulate to say it's more likely than not that she didn't kill her roommate. And in a murder case, you have to say beyond a reasonable doubt. The mental gymnastics you have to go through to say beyond a reasonable doubt she did not kill her roommate and this black guy did are incredible. We're talking about Olympic kind level of mental gymnastics you have to go through. Her fingerprints are all over the murder place. Her DNA is mixed in the in the sink and in rinsing it out. Like there's just she was acting really bizarre after the murder. I mean and then there was they were fighting beforehand and it's just it's more likely than not than that she did it. And when you when you compare what happened if you watch when they see us just watch when they see us and you look at what the criminal justice system in New York in America the assumptions that they made and the evidence they pinned that was a lie now we know that the the young black boys did not rape the Central Park jogger we know that they didn't the DNA cleared them of it, right? They found the right person. But the assumptions of guilt that were put on these young black boys, and they were boys, how they were questioned without their parents, how they were held and tortured for hours and lied to and manipulated and evidence made up and all of the laws that were broken to, to beat confessions out of them how the, how the justice system did the exact same kind of mental gymnastic to convict these innocent black boys of a rape that they did not commit are the same kind of opposite mental gymnastics that were done to clear this crying white woman of this crime. And that is the performance of race in the world. And you can see how anti-blackness is global when you look at the case of Amanda Knox versus the Central Park Five. Just look at the facts. Look at how much the justice system, how much Linda Fairstein manipulated laws, broke laws, broke protocol, uh, really jumped out the window in logic to put these black boys in prison for a crime they did not commit. And how the justice system, it's a foreign justice system, but how anti-blackness is global because look at how the world just bent over backwards and similarly jumped out the window with logic to say this white girl who's crying is innocent of a crime that all signs point to her committing 
that's the performance of race in a, in the world and anti-blackness that is worldwide. I got into a social media conversation about sex in the city recently and um, whenever I dive back down into this topic it's um, rather interesting to me because I have this fraught relationship with the show um, because when I moved to New York uh, in the mid to late 2000s um, I was really there in the last days of old New York, you know? So when I lived in New York City, CBGB was still a thing and rocking. Um, the Film Forum, uh, the TLA Bookstore, um, Howard Johnson was still open when I was in New York City. And Tower Records, I I worked there. Those were my first jobs when I moved to the city. Um, uh, Colony Music, I mean, just old New York was still there when I moved there. And I feel like that, that late 90s, mid-2000s New York is gone. It's gone, that, that you know. And I think... Obviously, everyone waxes poetic about the old New York, and it's just not what it used to be. But man, it it just really isn't. And and being a young gay, sex positive male in New York City, um, I think what Sex and the City missed, and I think it's because of the male gaze that was on the show with Michael Patrick King and Darren Starr, was that. Um, I'd rather Carrie date and be single. Carrie's lover is New York City, and I feel like this show really missed a chance to make her truly sex-positive and a real womanist character in the truest sense. Um, The patriarchy just had too much influence and really slowly married all the women off, really in like little women, good wives fashion, except Samantha, who they made a clown because she was the only woman who was truly sex positive. Um, I will always love Sex in the City because of my time there. And like I said, it, it really gives me a sense of nostalgia whenever I watch it of the old New York that is just gone. I visit there regularly. I have friends who are working there on Broadway and in different capacities. And whenever I go back, I kind of fall right back into the rhythm um, it's funny, I'm, I'm always afraid that I'm not going to be a New Yorker, but I think once a New Yorker, always a New Yorker, and once I go back, I'm right in the rhythm, I know how to take the train, I remember where all the trains go, I can come out of the train and get on the street and in two seconds, I know exactly where I am, don't have to look at any apps, like, you know, I'm that type of the thing, I mean, I'm, I'm pre-app New York City, I'm, I'm pre- when I first moved there, there were no smartphones. And then the smartphones happened, right? So, yeah. Uh, I think I will always love Sex in the City because it is my cultural nostalgia card of the time that I was there. And, uh, but I, my relationship is fraught. 
Taylor Swift had the nerve to hold gay people hostage at Stonewall End of all places. This straight woman had the nerve to go in there and prevent queer people from leaving and make them listen to her terrible you need to calm down video where she's trying to be Katy Perry 2.0 and then has Katy Perry in the video and one of them's in a hot dog a hamburger costume and the other one is the french fry kid from mcdonald's i mean it's a disgusting capitalist gay pandering display and like gay people who are following me on social media have like the nerve to come at me for critiquing taylor swift's trifling glass house looking obvious transparent pondering ass so the I'm gonna break up with a guy and tell the secrets and complain and whine white woman victim complex isn't selling tickets anymore so we're not gonna sing those breakup songs anymore so now we're gonna pander to gay people because I tried to be country that didn't work ran that into the ground then I tried to write about every breakup I ever had I've done that ran that into the ground so now it's on to the gays and so now I'm gonna make a music video where I throw in a bunch of queer people of color and have it directed by a gay person and so now I can claim activist cred okay stop trying to make money off of other people's oppression I repeat you mediocre Muzak writing, billionaire funded, supported, okay artist, and I use artists the word in air quotes, quit trying to cash in on minorities and their oppression. Okay, just stop, just stop, stop it. And think about it. If this music video didn't have Laverne Cox and the Queer Eye guys and all these other gay people in it, would you be watching this video? Oh, yeah, the answer is no. The song itself sucks. It's an earworm, but earworms aren't written well. They're just earworms. They're annoying. So is this is the song that doesn't end. You don't want, that's not a great song. You just can't get out of your head. It's the pandering. What is she doing for the queer community? What's her history of being an activist for the queer community? And putting money into your bank account is not being an activist. Raising awareness? It's 2019. We know gay people exist. We know trans people exist. We know queer people exist because they're killing us. Because they're passing trans military bans against us. So we know we exist. So this whole I'm raising awareness thing, that doesn't cut this activism anymore. What are you actually doing? What are you doing for the gay community? That's the question you need to be asking. And what gay people don't need to be doing is attacking each other on social media Defending a straight white woman making money off the backs of your oppression. That's what we don't need to be doing during Pride.
Taylor Swift, sit down. Just sit down. O.J. Simpson and Bill Cosby have a Twitter account now. What is life? What is happening? What is going on? I can't. Recently, I've been seeing this trending phrase in the hashtag, and I see it all the time, booked and busy. And one of our favorite um, Instagram clowns to watch, Ricky Thompson, often says that he is booked and busy. And that seems like a parent shade to Ricky. I, I think Ricky is a clown all the way to the bank, let me say that. Ricky is very financially successful by shucking and jiving on Instagram. And, you know, what? You do you, boo. But I want to get at the root of this busyness. I was listening to, just this morning, a friend of mine who's a pastor, co-pastor of a church in Decatur, uh, Georgia, preach a sermon on busyness. And he said something interesting, that we need to take stock of our busyness. And that really got me thinking about why we think that being, quote, booked and busy is a good thing. It's certainly virtue signaling today in our society. We have to prove our worth by being busy. And I find that interesting, uh, especially when still so much of the population calls itself people of faith or Christian, um, and there's still this unofficial litmus test for the President of the United States to be a Christian, right? Remember the hell that Obama went through when his minister said, uh, God damn America? That lit up a firestorm, and of course now we have our current resident of the White House who doesn't exhibit any (laughs) traditional uh, mainline Christian attributes, but claims Christianity. That's another podcast for another day, but still the pretense of being a Protestant Christian is important to be elected president, apparently. So being a person of faith myself... What are my thoughts on busyness and what is our current obsession with busyness? And these are just all the thoughts that I came into my head. And as it applies to blackness, um, for people of color and for minorities, there is certainly the respectability politics piece again about being busy. I think this, this cult of busyness applies to everyone in America, but there is certainly a bit of virtue signaling about how busy you are on social media, everywhere. And I thought, well, my question to myself was, well, where does this come from? And I think, as I was saying, four mainline Christians or Protestants or people of faith, I think it does 
stem from a corruption or a misunderstanding, an out of contextualization reading of Scripture. Uh, in Proverbs 16, verse 27, a famous quote that people know who are not Christian, who don't even know the Bible, quote, idle hands are the devil's workshop. I think a misunderstanding and, and misapplication of that proverb leads people to think, well, i got to be busy. Because if I'm not doing anything, if I'm quote-unquote idle, then I'm sinful. I'm bad, right? And it's interesting that we immediately associate busy with being productive because they're not exactly the same. Um, you know, motion, just simply movement, is not progress. A rocking chair moves, but it's not going anywhere. Just because something is in motion does not mean that it's progressing, um, especially not forward. So I think we, we do need to all take more stock of this booked and busy phenomenon. Slow down. Take the Sabbath. One of the uh, definitions or meaning of the Sabbath in the Jewish tradition, because it was, you know, law, it was illegal to do work on the Sabbath. You're supposed to have a day of rest to stop, to take stock, to observe faith, but your family, your loved ones, the earth, <laughs> home and hearth, right? So I think we all need to slow down. <laughs> Part of that problem is social media. Part of that problem is our phones and we can't ever leave work and we can't ever leave um, the things that make us busy or that we use to enable busyness in our lives. But let's stop doing that. We can make a decision ourselves to stop being busy and not progressive. Let's be progressive. Let's do fewer things that actually achieve more. <laughs> Fighting smarter and not harder, right? So how can you do that in your own life? I'm looking at my life, and I'm certainly looking at ways. Every year, I trim, I, I do a pruning. I prune activities. I prune things that I'm doing. Um, if I'm in too many organizations, I pull back on that. If I find that I'm getting really emotionally taxed and I'm, I, I, I unfollow people on social media, I unfollow people on Twitter, I mute people, I go through my friends list and see, okay, who was here for me in the last year? When I'm going through managing my parents' chronic and acute illnesses, because they have both, who was there for me emotionally during that? Who was not? prune, cut out, less busy. It's one less person that I have to sit through a, a phone call with or a Facebook chat with that is not here for me, right? And when, I'm, when my time is being taken up by mindless tasks or this quote-unquote busyness, that's not time that I'm with my parents, with my lovers, with 
people who actually love me with, with deep friends. And so I really made it a point over the last year to do more with less, to be less busy, but actually productive, right? To work on articles that I'm getting paid on working for. And as I'm saying this, I also want to caution. Remember, the advice that I'm giving to you, I'm also giving to myself. You don't have to monetize everything. You should do things for joy as well. So in in trying to be this, quote, booked and busy people that that monetize every single thing we do, that can also be another stressor on ourselves. So it's okay to pull back. It's okay to say, you know what, I'm just going to write this medium piece for me and for solidarity and for people out there who need to hear this, who need to hear, who need to see themselves mirrored in a piece. Um, because that's that also gives my heart joy when I do a thread on Twitter that people clap for because they finally have something vocalized and externalized that they've been trying to say, but just didn't have the words to say it and I said it. I don't need to be paid for that all the time, <laughs> right? Like, it's okay to do things for the joy of it. Hopefully, they're not mutually exclusive and exclusive, and you can get paid for things that you enjoy and love too. But don't constantly stress yourself with, how do I monetize this? How do I make a profit out of this? How do I do? Th-? We all need to be less busy, and to be actually productive, and that looks different for everybody. Okay, that's the thing. Cease judging yourself by other people. I know that's easy to say. I know I'm not the first person to say it. But especially for marginalized people, for black people, we are existing under white hegemony. So success for us is not going to look like success for people who are already, their starting point is already 10 leagues ahead of us. So what is successful for them is not going to be what is successful for us. It's going to be harder for us to get there. Now you can use whatever metrics you want to use, but I'm just saying it's absurd for you to judge where you are in a race when you're barefoot and the person running against you has on brand new tennis shoes and started 10 feet ahead of you. But that's what we're doing as black people. That's what we're doing as queer people. That's what we're doing as women. That's what we're doing as the marginalized. We're trying to judge ourselves by an unfair metric that's been set by the person who is rigging the game. So rest. Find your own personal Sabbath. This is especially important for black people who are the most marginalized. But for all marginalized persons, and even for my straight cis white men out there who are listening, rest. Take a Sabbath. Because guess what? For my straight cis white men who are listening, you will be less toxically masculine if you give yourself a Sabbath. (laughs) If you stop making yourself conform to this ridiculous alpha male crap garbage that you have constructed to privilege yourself that is actually harming you, Dylan Roof, Ted Kaczynski, all of these insane people who are trying to rise to this overly aggressive, alpha male, misogynist, racist, homophobic, toxic masculinity. If you give yourself a Sabbath, an abstinence from all these things, you'll be doing less of that. And you'll find a little less of a need to pick up a shotgun and walk into a building and shoot up people. 
So everyone needs to rest. The great flood has spoken.